Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. Here's Pastor Robert Manessis. So I want to review quickly part one. And we saw in part one that God, who? God himself willingly came to save us. It wasn't any created being, it wasn't an angel, it wasn't Gabriel, it wasn't, the Bible says that no created thing, no bulls, no goats, nothing can pay the price for man's sin. Only God, the life giver, could pay that price, and God willingly came to save us. He shows the universe that He loves us. You know, if you're married, and you're out in public, man, now that I'm thinking this, I'm, man, I do this too, man. Should I say this or not? I don't know. Like, the, the, the wife likes when you, when you sort of hold their hand in public and put their arms around them, you know, and sort of shows that affection. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, sometimes, because I'm just so, I catch myself walking and my wife is behind me. And I should have like bullet holes right here, but I don't, don't have them. But the affection, because when, when you hold the hand and you show the affection, you're showing, you're showing everybody else that you love this person, you care for them. By God, willingly by God willingly coming to die for us, He's showing the universe how much He loves us. So if you see me walk ahead of my wife, call me out. She lets me know about it. We saw that God gave us everything Himself. The most you can give somebody is yourself. Amen? God gave Himself. He gave us everything. And then we saw that God was completely all in, physically, mentally, and emotionally. The Bible says that Jesus wept there in the garden of Lazarus, not for Lazarus, because we saw that Jesus had every intention of raising Lazarus from the dead. Amen. So he wasn't crying for Lazarus. He was crying for, for the people. He was crying for those who did not believe in him. He was crying for those who, they were there, and soon they would say, crucify him. He was crying for those that he could see beyond their day to our day. He was crying for the sorrows of the world. Are you with me? And then we ended to say that then the Bible says this in Hebrews 4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We saw that God understands. People say, no one understands me or understands what I'm going through. God understands. God understands. We serve a God and a Savior who understands what it means to go hungry. Can you say amen? He understands what it means to be forsaken and beaten and spit upon. He, he understands what it means to, to be used. He understands what it means uh, for people to claim to like Him and then later want to kill Him. He every situation. Amen. So, 
we saw that God understands what it means to be tempted and tired physically and emotionally. He understands. You can go to Jesus. He understands what you're going through. Can you say amen? He understands what it means to be betrayed. He understands what it means to be physically, to suffer physically and suffer emotionally. He understands what it means to be lonely, that friends leave him. He understands what it means to be forsaken. He understands what it means to be abandoned and hurt and sad. God understands. He understands. You're not alone. He understands what it means to be falsely accused and hungry and thirsty and desperate. He understands what it means to be frustrated and upset and brokenhearted and happy and joyful and mocked and bullied. He understands what it means to be misunderstood and used, and the list goes on and on. God understands. Amen. Therefore, He comforts us and sympathizes with us. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. This isn't some, you know, I'm there and you're here. God understands what you're going through. You might feel that no one understands, but you serve a God who understands what you're going through. He understands. Sometimes your spouse might not even understand. God understands. That's all review. You with me? Okay. So, now we transition to part two. Jesus came the first time as the shepherd king, the king of peace and humility and the king of salvation. You weren't supposed to see that yet. Disregard it. <laughs> Listen. We usually think that when Christ returns the second time, which this is true, that He comes as King of kings and Lord of lords. That's true. Can you say amen? It's true. But we need to understand today as well that when He came the first time, He also came as a king. He came as a what? As a king as well. Go to Zechariah chapter 9. We need to also understand that when he came the first time, he also came as a king. Maybe not the type of king that many were expecting, but he did come as a king. Go to the book of Zechariah again. This was our scripture reading. And I said in the scripture reading that this was a messianic prophecy. What does that mean that it is a messianic prophecy? What does that mean? Yeah, that it was fulfilled in Christ, that this was a prophecy that would be fulfilled in the Messiah. Are you with me? You know, let me say this. I was in Jerusalem in December. We took a trip there as the pastors in the Gulf States Conference. And when you're there in Jerusalem, they have, and you're facing the Eastern Gate, I believe, and they long ago, the Ottoman Empire has, has blocked the eastern gate. You can't enter it anymore. And then what they did is they put all these graves on the front of it because what they're doing is they're trying to bar the way from the Messiah to come. There are still many people today who believe the Messiah has not come yet. So the Ottoman Empire, they barred the gate with bricks because the prophecy said that he would come through that gate. And then they put 
graves because that is, that is unclean, and no Messiah is going to walk over graves. That would never happen. But I have some bad news for them, or maybe some good news. They were too late. The Messiah has already come. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And this is a messianic prophecy, and it says in chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a what? Donkey. So the Bible was clear that the Messiah would come the first time, yes, as a king as well. Amen. And they would see him riding what? On a donkey into the city again. But it was not the kind of king they were expecting. Go to Isaiah 53. The Bible said here in Zechariah that he would be the king, the king of salvation. The king of what? Salvation. But go to Isaiah. So go to the left. And you come to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and let's read more about this king that would come. What kind of king would he be? Isaiah 53, let's take a look. We already saw that in Zechariah he would be the king of salvation, but it gives us more here on what kind of king he would be. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 3, you can just say amen when you get there. The Bible says, again, this is another messianic prophecy of the Messiah. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of what? Sorrows and acquainted with, our, with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, and chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hallelujah. Seven, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his what? Mouth. Go to verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit. In his mouth. Go to verse 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Can you say amen? This was the king. He was not to come yet as the king of kings and lord of lords. 
He was to come, as I showed you before here, to come as the shepherd king, the king of peace and humility, the king of salvation. Thy king cometh. Amen. This was the type of king Christ was to be in his first coming. Go to Matthew 21. Matthew, understanding the messianic prophecies, look what he says. Now, we saw in Zechariah that the Messiah was to come into Jerusalem as a king, and what was he riding on? We come to Matthew 21, and look at the scene. Just a week or so before his crucifixion, verse 1. Are you there? Matthew 21, now when they, drew, when they drew near to what city? Jerusalem, and he came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a, a donkey tied and a colt with her. Do these animals sound familiar? Where did we see them? In Zechariah, in the prophecy. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, and now Matthew quotes Zechariah chapter 9, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on, him, on them, and, he, and set Jesus on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Verse 9, then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna the son of, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Verse 10, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. But let me tell you something. He was more than a prophet. He was the Son of God. Christ comes riding into the city as a, start with a K, king. But the Jewish nation were not prepared for this kind of a king. They were wanting the king that would come and pick a sword up and do away with the Romans and set up Israel back on top in the nations. But Christ came to conquer, listen, not Rome, but sin and the enemy. Are you with me? Now, now it gets very interesting. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem as a king, and every king, listen carefully, every king has a crown, every king has a robe, and every king has a scepter. Now, what we're going to look at now is, if Jesus came riding into the city as a king, well, he must have, he must, every king has a crown, robe, and scepter. Did Jesus have those as well? Go to the book of Mark. Here we go. Go to the book of Mark, chapter 15. If Jesus came riding into the city as a king, our question is, 
Did Jesus also wear a crown, a robe, and a scepter? Well, go to the book of Mark chapter 15. Let's see who can beat me there. Uh. All right. Christ has been led to the council of the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. He's then been taken to Pilate. You with me? Got the story? He's been flogged, beaten, spit on, slapped by his own creation. Can you imagine? He is now before the soldiers, and every king must have what? We're in Mark chapter 15, and we're in verse 16. Are you there? Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, and they clothed him with what? With purple. Now, look at the screen. In John's account, and the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. Every king has a crown, a robe. What crown did Jesus wear? Oh, he came as a king all right the first time but he came as the king of salvation. Go back to Mark. We're still in Mark. Mark chapter 15, verse 17, it says, and they clothed him with purple. Purple was the color of royalty. They're mocking him here, right? They're mocking him as a king. They're giving him a purple robe because all kings had purple robes. It's the color of royalty. And he continued, and they twisted a, what's the word? a crown of thorns, and put it on his what? What's the one thing he's missing? Okay, let's keep reading. Well, in, in Matthew's account, because this is given in all accounts, you put the pieces together. In Matthew's account, look at this, Matthew 27, 29. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his what? right hand, and the Greek there for the word in my version that says reed is the word staff. It's a scepter. It's a staff. We're in Mark chapter 15, and now we're in 18, and it says, and began to salute him, hail, king of the Christ came as king, and he had all the elements. He came riding on a lowly donkey. He had a crown placed on his head, but it was a crown of thorns. He had a robe on his back. It was the, the purple robe they mocked him with, and he had a scepter in his hand. Christ truly came as a king. And they mocked him. Oh, hail, king. Oh, look at this king. And they're mocking the creator of heavens and earth. 
thy king cometh. We keep reading. We're in verse 19, and they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him. Put his own clothes, uh, they spat on him and bowed the knee. They worshiped him. Mockery. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to be what? Jesus came riding on a donkey, was given a crown, a robe, and a scepter. He came as the shepherd king, the king of peace and humility, the king of salvation, and the church said, Now, I hope you're sitting down because guess what? When Jesus returns a second time, He returns as King again, but this time as King of kings and Lord of lords to execute judgment on earth. Go to Revelation 19. Take a look. Now, we say that a king comes riding on an animal, and they have what elements? A crown, a robe, and a... You guys ready for this? You sure? Revelation 19, take a look. John depicts the second coming of Jesus, and let's see what Jesus has. Revelation 19, verse 11, say amen when you get there. Christ has always been king, amen. Christ has always been king the first time He came and now he returns King of kings and Lord of lords. And let's see how John depicts him in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. And the Bible says, Now I saw what? Heaven opened, and behold a... Woo! A white horse. Guess who's going to become riding on that white horse? You see, a white horse symbolizes victory. When the armies went to war and they won and they came back as victors, the king would return riding back on a white horse, signifying victory. Continues. And he, sat, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in his righteousness he judges and makes war, verse 12. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head, are we seeing the same elements? Same elements. But this time he has many crowns. We keep reading. Verse 12. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. Verse 13, he was clothed with a, with a robe. Is Christ not king? Continues, dipped in blood, 
and his name is called the Word of God, verse 14, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, these are the angels that will come with Jesus, followed him on white horses. Christ returns as victor. He's won. It's over. Christ is the victor. We continue. Verse 15, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it we should strike the nations and he himself will rule them with a, there it is, rod of iron, the staff. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Verse 16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Here it is. Let's all say it together. King of kings and what? Lord of lords. Can you say amen? We have it here. Christ came the first time as a king. He rode on a donkey. He had a crown of thorns. He had a purple robe put on him, and he had a staff put in his hand. But he came the first time as the king of salvation, the king of, the king of humility and peace to save the world from their sins. And he says, guess what? I'm going to return again, but this time I'm going to be riding symbolically on a white horse, coming back as victor and king of kings and lord of lords. He came the first time as the king of salvation to save, to redeem, to buy back. The second time he comes as king of kings, as victor over Satan's accusations, and he, is rightly, and he has rightly received his dominion and his kingdom. Hallelujah. Look at the parallels again. When Christ came the first time, the sky was filled with his angels seen by the shepherds. When Christ returns the second time, the sky will be filled with his angels again, but this time every eye will see him. And now we have a nuance. Did you know that Jesus hinted to those who mocked him and crucified him and called him king, which he was king, but they mocked him and they worshiped him. Did you know that Jesus said there's going to be a special resurrection for them to see him coming as truly the king of kings and lord of lords? Go to Matthew 26. This is fascinating. It's not a good idea to mock God. Go to Matthew 26. And I want to bring something out here. Christ is before the Sanhedrin. After the Garden of Gethsemane, he's taken there first. And we are in verse 57 of Matthew 26. Say amen when you get there. And the Bible says, now take a look, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now I want you, I want you to keep track, I want you to keep track of those who are there in the meeting. You guys ready? Okay. So who's the first person mentioned there? Who is it? Caiaphas. Okay. Keep track of all those who are there, okay. And those who had laid hold of Jesus, uh, him, to Caiaphas, the high priest, were the, who else was there? The scribes and the elders were assembled. We keep reading. But Peter followed him at a distance to, a high, to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and what? 
And all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Verse 60, even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none, but at least two false witnesses came forward and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. And the high priest rose and said to him, do you answer nothing? What is these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, before I read the next verse, let's get our bearings straight. Is the room filled here, yes or no? Yes. We have Caiaphas, the high priest. We have the elders. We have the scribes. And then we have the whole council that's there. And not only that, then many false witnesses that came to testify falsely against Jesus. Are you with me so far? This is a filled room of people. And now look at verse 64 carefully. And Jesus said to him, to Caiaphas, It is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, you read that and you said, well, that's nice. Now, listen, because let's get a little deeper. We have to get into the tenses here. Now, you do know that the word you can be used in the singular sense, like if you're talking to just somebody and you say, how are you doing? It's singular. Are you with me? But you should know as well that in the English language, the you can also be referred as a plural, right? Like if I began to talk with you guys, plural, and I said, hey, you, who am I referring to? Everybody. Are you with me? In the English language, it can be either singular or what? Go back to 64, and I checked in the Greek. And look what he's saying here. Look at it again. I'll bring it out here as we read it again. Look at this. In verse 64, Jesus says, it is as you said. The word you there is singular. He's talking to Caiaphas. But now listen. Keep reading. Nevertheless, I say to you, you, and guess what? In the, in, in the Greek, hazard a guess. It's plural. When he said you here, he's referring to all the crowd in the room. And then he continues. He then says again, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And guess what? That second you is also in the plural. So when Christ says, you will see me coming in the clouds of heaven, he was talking to all those who are in the room. There's going to be a special resurrection for those who were there in that room that were directly responsible for his crucifixion, and they're going to be resurrected right before he returns, and their mouths are going to drop because they're going to see him return with all his power and glory. But then there's another group that will have a special resurrection. Go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, we're almost done. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 7. The Bible says, are we there? Behold, 
He is coming with clouds, and how many eyes will see Him? Every eye will see Him. Look at this. Even they who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him, even so, amen. And the word amen there in the Greek means it's true. We see now that also those who literally pierced Him, those Roman soldiers that mocked Him and pierced Him and said, oh, oh, King, King, King Jesus, they're also going to be specially resurrected right before Christ comes, and they will see Christ coming truly in all glory and power. And you know what? In the book, The Great Controversy, the spirit of prophecy confirms what the Bible teaches. Take a look. Great Controversy, page 643. In the context of the coming of Christ, she says, there are those who mocked Christ in His humiliation. With thrilling power come to their minds the sufferer's words. When adjured by the high priest, he solemnly declared, and she quotes Matthew 26, 64, hereafter ye shall see me coming, sitting on the right hand of power, and coming in clouds of glory. Again, that ye or you is plural. Now, that's plural, is it not? It is. And they behold Him in His glory, and they are yet to see Him sitting on the right hand of power. The word yet there doesn't mean, it means that as they are resurrected, they will then see Him truly coming in all His power. As the Bible predicted, they mocked Him. Next time, they will, their, their knees will buckle because of the glory of God coming. She continues, those who derided His claim to be the Son of God are speechless now. There is the haughty Herod who jeered at His royal title and bade the mocking of soldiers crown Him king. There are the very men who with impious hands placed upon his form the purple robe, upon his sacred brow the thorny, and in his unresisting hand the mimic. She always is in line with the Bible, can you say amen? And bowed before him in blasphemous mockery, the men who smote and spit upon the prince of life now turn from his piercing gaze and seek to flee from the overpowering glory of His presence. Those who drove the nails through His hands and feet, the soldier who pierced His side, behold these marks with terror and remorse. Thy King cometh. Christ has always been King. He came as King of Peace the first time, salvation, and next He returns as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now listen very carefully. Many people today have no quarrels accepting Christ as their Savior. But the same people who claim them as their Savior have a hard time claiming Him as their King and Lord in their life. Because just claiming Him as your Savior 
almost means like, I claim Him as my Savior, but don't tell me what to do. But when you claim Jesus as your King and your Lord, capital L, you didn't submit to that Lordship in your life. And sometimes Christ needs to do some changing in the life. Are you with me? And before Jesus returns as King of kings and Lord of lords, we first have to have Him as King of kings and Lord of lords in our hearts. Do you hear what I said? Before we can rejoice as Him coming as King of kings and Lord of lords, He first needs to be the Lord of our lives, and therefore, we submit to how He wants us to live and to do. Amen. It's one thing to claim Him as your Savior. It's another thing to claim Him as your King and Lord. And maybe somebody today wants to claim Jesus as their personal Savior. Can you say amen? But it doesn't stop there. But if you're serious about Him being your Savior, you're going to have to claim Him as your King and your Lord. How sad that those who mock Jesus as a king will truly see him as a king. Friends, the sands of the hourglass are running thin. Christ is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. Believe you me. Here today, as we're entering and living in the very last days of earth's history, I want to say to Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, my King, and my Lord. Anybody here today? Anybody here today? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe somebody here in this sanctuary or at home has never been baptized, and you want to make that commitment. I want to be baptized. I want to publicly express to the world that I want Jesus to be my Savior, Lord, and King. Anybody here who's made or want to make that commitment to get baptized, I want you to stand. Hallelujah. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Hallelujah who has not been baptized, not been. If you're at home and you're making that decision, I want you to text me, call me, email me, come and see me at the office, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 10 to 1, 
Maybe there's somebody here who has been baptized before or left God, left the church. They know it, and God is convicting them they need to be rebaptized. It's a specific appeal here. You've left God, left church, and you're just starting to come back and you feel like you want to ask God to forgive you of turning from Him and you want to return to Him through baptism or rebaptism. Anybody here that fits that bill? Okay. All right. If there's somebody here at home and that changes throughout the week, you can reach out to me. Can the church say amen? God bless Sandra and Ralph. Our king is coming. You ready? Our king is coming. Are you ready to go home, saints? Our king is coming. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.